Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with the very first verse. Finally, when I could stand it no longer, I decided to stay alone in Athens and send Timothy, our brother and fellow worker, God's minister, to visit you, to strengthen your faith and encourage you, and to keep you from becoming faint-hearted in all the troubles you were going through. But of course you know that such troubles are a part of God's plan for us Christians. And even while we were still with you, we warned you ahead of time that suffering would soon come, and it did. And as I was saying, when I could bear the suspense no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that perhaps Satan had gotten the best of you and that all our work had been useless. And now Timothy has just returned and brings the welcome news that your faith and love are as strong as ever and that you remember our visit with joy and want to see us just as much as we want to see you. So we are greatly comforted, dear brothers, in all of our own crushing troubles and suffering here, now that we know you are standing true to the Lord. We can bear anything as long as we know that you remain strong in him. How can we thank God enough for you and for the joy and delight you have given us in our praying for you, For night and day we pray on and on for you, asking God to let us see you again and to fill up any little cracks that may yet be in your faith. May God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus send us back to you again, and may the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other and to everyone else, just as our love does toward you. This will result in your hearts being made strong, sinless, and holy by God our Father, so that you may stand before him guiltless on that day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns with all those who belong to him. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let us unite together in just a moment of prayer. Now, our Father, we pray that you would take this word of yours and make it real to our hearts as we consider that which the Apostle has spoken to us with regard to trouble in our lives, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All of you perhaps have had someone say to you, cheer up, things could have been worse. And you cheered up, and sure enough, they got worse. You've heard that, haven't you? And it has happened. Paul is concerned about the church in Thessalonica, that the troubles they were going through might have gotten worse. And in fact, he is concerned and afraid that maybe Satan had taken these troubles and had used them to really overcome the church, and they had deteriorated in their faith. 
And Paul sends Timothy then to find out just how things are and what's going on and to strengthen their faith. And Timothy has returned now, and Paul is responding and saying, I am happy to discover that your faith and your love is as strong as ever. And he goes on to say, as a matter of fact, knowing this from the testimony that Timothy now has brought to us, it strengthens us in our troubles. The emphasis that I want us to look at immediately is, the, is upon the word trouble. We all have them. The Sunday school lesson this morning dealt with the problems and troubles of Job. We're not going to deal with that subject this morning, though it certainly well speaks to, to the problem of trouble. None of us have escaped the problem of having trouble. And the question arose in the Sunday school class this morning, or at least we discussed it slightly, with regard to the Christian having trouble. Sometimes we feel like the Old Testament people that uh, if you live close to the Lord, you will escape trouble. Well, there is nothing in the New Testament that would give us this indication at all that we are going to avoid trouble by being a Christian. To think so is contrary to the Scripture. We all have our troubles. Paul certainly had his. If there is any man who ever had trouble, that was Paul. And we could go on listing for several minutes just those episodes of trouble that he had from being shipwrecked and beaten and jailed right on down the line. He had, he had plenty of troubles. We all this morning have our troubles. Some of you this morning perhaps have come to church with with troubles. Some of you may be having troubles in your marriage. This is not uncommon. One of the facts that I think that we must acknowledge is that just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that we escape marital problems. If, any, if, if there is no one in this congregation this morning who has come to this church with, with a, without a marital problem, I would be very much surprised. No doubt there would be in a congregation of this size a number of couples who are having marriage troubles this morning. And if you are not, you will not have to think very far afield in your family to be able to bring out in your mind some couples in your family that are having marriage troubles. They're there. And I would suspect that all of us, perhaps, have at one time or other in our life been faced with this problem of trouble within the marriage. There are others in this congregation that are facing health problems. Your health is not what it ought to be, and you have difficulties, and from time to time some of you have mentioned these problems and asked for special prayer. If you do not have health problems of your own, it again does not take very long in your memory to, to come up with the names of people for whom you have sought prayer and you would like for this church to pray because they are having problems with their health. Some of you are having difficulties at work of one nature or other. Some of you are having problems with your children or your grandchildren or some other kids in the family, but particularly these two areas.
our kids just don't sometimes seem to grow up and be what we want them to be. And we have worries and problems with them. And we can't understand sometimes perhaps where we have gone wrong. I think we can realize pretty quickly that it may not have been anything that we did or did not do. That we have been as good a parent as we possibly could be, and yet our kids just haven't turned out like we would want them to turn out. They're rebellious. They don't dress the way we think we ought, they ought to dress. Or their hair isn't cut the way it ought to be cut in our minds. I went through this with, with our son. Uh, it was a rebellious attitude. They don't go to church like we think they ought to go to church. And we wonder where we have failed and faltered. And so we have all of these troubles. Some of you are having financial problems. You don't know where the, the money is going to come from to pay the doctor bills or to pay the rent or to buy the clothing or the food that is needed. And some of you are having the problems that come from uh, death from having had death in the family or having people who are severely ill that, that you might very well be facing this. And the fact that you are a Christian has not immune you from any of these problems. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to handle our trouble? I want to suggest five things. Number one, I want to suggest to you that you might just as well expect trouble because it's going to come. A Christian is not immune. Now, first of all, a lot of our problems and troubles have their root in sin. Do not quit listening before I finish, because all troubles are not rooted in sin. But many of the problems and the troubles that we face in life have their root, and I think probably we could say all if we could go back to the very beginning when all of our problems began in the Garden of Eden with the sin that Adam and Eve committed and therefore has passed on to us through that mechanism uh, the problems that we have, and they're all rooted in sin. But some of them are not directly related to any sin that we might have committed. This is, this is a basis of life, that we have our problems. We might as well take a realistic attitude toward them. Let's not stick our head in the sand and, and try to ignore or shun or push off or pay no attention to troubles because they will come. They will come. So the one fact that I think that we must acknowledge is that we're all going to be faced with trouble. Now, secondly, and here's where we get into the meat of the sermon. How are we going to handle them? The second point that I would like to make is we must be careful that we do not allow Satan to enter our lives through our trouble. We must refuse Satan's entrance into our lives through our troubles. This was one of the concerns that Paul had. The reason he sent Timothy to Thessalonica was to find out if they had been able to stand firm in their faith during their troubles or if Satan had made inroads and had gotten into their lives. He was happy to find from the report that Timothy made that they had been able to stand firm and Satan had not gotten a foothold. 
But Satan will use our weakness at the point of our trouble to get into our lives and do his dirty work. Now mark this carefully. If you have a problem, you will find Satan working on that problem to weaken you. Those of you who watch wrestling with me know that a wrestler works on the weak point of his opponent. And if he has an injury to the knee, he will work that knee over until he has done damage as much as he possibly can. I don't condone that type of action, but it does get exciting at times. Uh, Satan takes the same approach. If he finds you vulnerable, he will work at your vulnerability until he has made you weak. He will use that trouble that you have as a wedge. And he will try to separate you. That's the reason sometimes we as husbands and wives have problems with each other, is because Satan gets in there and uses one weakness or the other to use it as a wedge to drive us apart. He uses it to drive the Christian from the church. He uses it to drive one friend from another. He separates people by driving a wedge at the point of their weakness, at the point of trouble. I would caution you very, very much so. Do not allow Satan to use your trouble to separate you from each other and to separate you from the church. But I have seen it time and time again when people have problems they avoid the church. I say this morning very firmly that if you have problems, when you have troubles, that's where you ought to be. Not away from, but in the church. Not away from Christian fellowship, but in Christian fellowship. Secondly, Satan uses our troubles to make us bitter. To make us bitter. I have seen many people, and I've been involved in this some myself, and you will discover that you have too, of beginning to wonder why it is that we're here. Why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? And we began to get a bitter attitude and wonder, I have been such a good person and faithful to the church. Why did the Lord bring all this on me? And we can go back to Job this morning for those responses that were handled in Sunday school class. But one of the things that Satan will attempt to do is to make us angry at God through our troubles and blame God for all of our problems. Now, I think the scripture is very plain in many, many points throughout the writings, both Old and New Testament, that God is not pleased and he does not take pleasure in the affirmities of his children. It is not his purpose to bring trouble upon us. He may use that trouble that we have for his own glory, but he is not doing it just to be mean. We must be careful that Satan does not make us angry at God. Let us notice also, and I want to go over to Luke, 
chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, for a passage of Scripture, that one of the things that Satan does. Chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, and this is the Lord speaking about Peter. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have you. Notice those words, Satan wants you. Satan wants you, and he wants me. Satan has asked to have you to sift you like wheat. To sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. I want you to look at a couple of things in that verse. Number one, Jesus recognizes that Satan is going to work on us. He knew that he was going to work on Peter. And he said, Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. We have an advocate in heaven with the Father praying for us that our faith will remain during our times of trouble when Satan sifts us like wheat. And then he says, now, Peter, when you have repented, when you've returned, when you've come back to your senses, when you realize that it's your faith that has sustained you, then I want you to use this experience of yours to help somebody else. Listen to what he said to Peter. When you have returned, when you have repented, when you have strengthened yourself, then I want you to use your faith to build up the faith of others. The third point I would like to make, and that is that we face our troubles with prayer. There is nothing better than support when we're in trouble. It is extremely important that we do what we do from time to time as we gather together, and that is pray for each other. Now, many of you held up your hand this morning, and you said that you had a concern. You have a problem. That's really what you were saying. You didn't say what it was, and we don't need to know what it is. But you can be strengthened in the problem you face by the prayers of the rest of us. It is important that we pray for each other. Back in the Old Testament, we have the story of the Hebrew people who were fighting, who were fighting the Amalekites, or the Amalekites, whichever way you wish to pronounce it. And as long as Moses stood in their sight on the side of the mountain and held up his hands, the Hebrew people were winning the battle. As soon as his hands dropped, the faith of the soldiers out there on the field began to wane, and they began to lose. But Moses could not hold his hands up there forever. That's, that's a hard thing to do. So they finally had to enlist the, the help of two men. And one stood on one side, and one stood on the other side, and they held up his hands. They supported him in his efforts, and what happened on the battlefield, but the people were winning. They were encouraged by the uplifted hand, and they were encouraged by the support that were given by those 
who assisted in lifting up those hands. Lloyd Ogilvy said that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. All of us have gone to a ball game when our team was losing. And finally, the people in the bleachers and the cheerleaders, those on the sidelines, begin to encourage and shout encouragement and support and say to the, to the team, we believe in you, you can do it. And suddenly, the whole ball game began to turn around and the losing team began to win because they were encouraged by the support that they were being given by the fans. The Lord encouraged us in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says these words, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray after everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Listen to that. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus Christ. Pray. During times of trouble, we ought to pray. The psalmist said, call upon uh, me in the Lord speaking, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The fourth point I would like to make is that we need to reach out to others. You have all heard the little statement, I complained because I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. The point of that whole thing is you don't have to look too far until you find somebody else worse off than yourself. And when you find that someone, you need to minister to them. You need to reach out and touch them. The greatest therapy that anybody can have is to help somebody else worse off than himself. The beautiful story that Jackie told us about Tom illustrates this point very definitely. In the midst of his suffering, the Lord gave him the strength to minister to somebody else. In the midst of our trouble, the Lord will give us strength to care for someone else and speak a word of encouragement. Cricket isn't here, so I want to tell this. If you'll pardon the first one's uh, reference to her. She has been in the hospital more times than I care to count. And one of the things that I have discovered time and time again in the midst of her time in the hospital, there has been somebody else that she has talked to that's worse off than she is that she has encouraged. I've seen her go up and down the hallway talking to people in the rooms. She wouldn't say anything about that and wouldn't, would never mention it to anybody, but I know it happens because I have talked to those people who have been lifted up in the midst of trouble. There is someone to whom we can all go and give a word of encouragement and a word of support. And this is our Christian privilege. We need to care. Someone said the definition of caring is when someone makes others well, let me say it over. When someone makes others' troubles their own, when you're willing to take the troubles of somebody else upon yourself, 
you have begun to solve your own trouble. Our troubles become smaller when we minister to others. Let me lastly say that we should be patient in our troubles. Paul Harvey is one of my favorite commentators. He has a unique way of reporting the news. He gives you a part of the story and then he has a commercial break and you're hanging there on the edge of your seat wondering what's the end. And when he comes back, he gives you the end of the story and he usually ends, maybe he always does, I don't know, and now you know the rest of the story. You've heard that, haven't you? Let me use that to illustrate this. God is not finished with the story. We only have a part of it, the beginning of it. We don't have the end. We don't know how it's going to come out. We're at the commercial break point. We've got the, the rudiments of the story, and we must wait for the rest of the story. It may very well be that your trouble tomorrow you will look upon as the greatest blessing that you have ever had in your life because it caused something to take place that you never would have had without experiencing that particular trouble. Reflect back in your lives to those times when you would have to admit that that certainly is true. I must not conclude before I read a portion from Romans chapter 15 or chapter 8 rather chapter 8 beginning at verse 15 I must read it I want you to listen to the words I'm going to read again from the Living Bible because it makes it much clearer a beautiful passage of being patient and wait upon the Lord he says beginning at verse 15 of Romans 8 so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling to him, Father, Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasure for all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For on that day, Thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcome the world, against it will, against its will, at God's command, with all, will all disappear, and the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from sin which God's children enjoy. For we know that even the things of nature, like animals and plants, suffer in sickness and death as they wait this great event and even we Christians although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory 
also grown to be released from pain and suffering, we too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us, bodies that will never be sick again and will never die. When you go home, reread that. It gives you the reason for being patient in the midst of our problems. We have got something coming that he's going to give to us because he promised it to us. He's going to give us a new body and all of the wonderful blessings that will come to us. We may have to wait a while and we may suffer in this life, but he's saying the problems and the pains and the suffering that we have now is going to be worth it to get what he's got for us in the future. If you were asked to pick the most comforting words in all of the Bible, I don't know what words you would come up with, but I want to suggest a phrase. The most promising phrase in all the Bible could be this phrase, and it came to pass. Think about it. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. And when we have passed it, we'll praise God for having had it. For it has been the means of bringing us to the greatest blessings that God has prepared for us that love Him. How do we handle trouble? Number one, expect it. Secondly, don't let Satan get into your life through it. Thirdly, reach out to others in the midst of your trouble because there are others worse off than you. And lastly, be patient. Be patient because it's going to be worth it to get the blessings that God's got for us. Shall we pray? My Father, we're thankful. We're thankful even in the midst of our trouble because you loved us and you suffered trouble far greater than we can possibly even imagine. And great is your faithfulness to us as we place our hands in your hands to carry us over these rough times in life. Help us, our Father, to be thankful unto you even for the rough times, and be gracious unto you for easing our troubles. And we thank you for the benefits that we shall receive. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.